previously on At The Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Chaney, and Luke Hatz. Is that on your list? It's number one on my list. Oh, well, there you, well, actually, it's number one on my list because I only came up with eight. <laughs> he, he's working on his math, Jim. He's got some, he's got some issues with the math. At the movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Cheney, mm. and yours truly, Luke Katz, begins right now. Oh, really? Mm-hmm, it does. Yes. Yes. Uh, joining me, that viral critic for Vulture and WTOP, viral critic. She went viral She this did. Week. Jen Cheney, and now please welcome an analog man in an all-digital world, right. Arch Campbell. The only way I could go viral is to get pneumonia, but <laughs> you went viral. I did? I saw your little post. I wasn't aware that that happened. What yeah. do you mean? Yeah, you posted something on Facebook where uh, something you said oh. was, what was this? I, I, okay, I'm getting so, an eye roll here. So I had a dream <laughs> that I was at a U2 concert and that yeah. for some reason Bob through like a piece of newspaper and then for some reason a piece of lettuce and I was trying to figure out how can I preserve the lettuce that I you know got from Bono <laughs> and I, tw- I tweeted it and some sort of content farm type of website turned this into a story like Bono surprises woman in bed I'm like excuse me <laughs> I was I wasn't dead when I was having the dream, but like See, that's not exactly what happened. This is how you get famous. Well, you okay. tweet about dreams and lettuce. So, <laughs> Lou, you and I need to remember this. I am. I'll put that on my notes. Hey, we have a lot of things to talk about on this podcast, but I think we must start with uh, the news that uh, Buck Henry has passed away. All you need to know about Buck Henry is that he wrote The Graduate. And in 1967, when that came out, that uh, revolutionized movies. I think that is the movie that started the reemergence of movies in the 60s and 70s. And he's quite a talented guy. What What's your response to uh, Buck Henry? Well, certainly I think of The Graduate too, but like a lot of people, I also think about um, his work on Saturday Night Live because right. he was he was on regularly in the very early days in the mid-70s. I think and five times in yeah. the 70s when it first started. Yeah, and uh, I was noticing some people remembering the the sketch he did where John Belushi used to do like Samurai Guy and I think he actually cut Buck Henry's forehead on live television and then he had a band-aid on in subsequent sketches and then progressively the entire cast was wearing a band-aid on their forehead. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was sad to see that news. He directed Heaven Can Wait, which is another uh, terrific film and he wrote the scripts. Do you remember Candy in 1968? It was a farce a semi-soft porno farce based on a novel by Terry Southern Hmm. where they got people to write kind of uh, parodies of sexual escapades. He did that. What's Up Doc? The Owl and the Pussycat. But The Graduate is uh, one of those great achievements that we'll remember forever. Mm -hmm. On the holidays... Uh, Gina and I go to a little cabin uh, west of Asheville, North Carolina. And this year, we sat around, it was kind of cold, watching uh, classics. And we watched Godfather 1 and 2, and we watched Casablanca. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing when a film passes the test of time. And The Graduate is one of the... Graduate is um, almost 60 years old, Mm -hmm. like 53 years old now. It's amazing when a film can last like that. So uh, I think we salute Buck Henry. 
Absolutely. And and uh, not to take away from Buck Henry's screenplay, which is obviously great, but uh, Mike Nichols' direction of that film uh-huh. was really groundbreaking, too. And we lost him uh, yeah. not long ago as well. So uh, I love award season and uh, award season is really uh, percolating this year. And we had the Golden Globes this weekend. What's your response, number one, to the show itself? Ricky Gervais was everything I feared he would be. (laughs) He had got in a couple of good zingers. Uh, His Jeffrey Epstein joke was relatively funny. Um, (laughs) But my problem with Ricky Gervais is is that, first of all, this is the fifth time he's hosted the Golden Globes. And he, he has done nothing to change his approach. Yeah. And, you know, he comes out and says, I don't care about being here. I never cared about being here. And to me, that's the like safest thing a comedian can do is say, like, I don't care. So yeah. that way, if any joke he tells isn't good, he lowers the bar his defense mechanism is yeah. I don't care. And uh, and it also just sets like a bummer uh, of a tone for the beginning of the night. Well, and so much of the award shows these days are just completely empty. Mm-hmm. I, I just as I watched it more and more every year, this one just seemed totally empty but i love award season because you know it's an indication of what's coming for the oscars and the oscars are still everything and i don't think there's a film that really is a front runner as far as best uh, drama goes they gave best drama to 1917 and best director to sam mendez Mm-hmm. What do you think? I mean, I certainly expect that film and Sam Mendes to be nominated for an, for an Oscar um, when the nominations are announced. Whether it will win, I'm not sure. I mean, I think the advantage that it has, number one, I, I still think there's um, a barrier to anything from Netflix that could yeah. hurt the Irishman and Marriage Story. I thought the Irishman might win. I did too. That win for 1917, which... I don't hear a lot of people talking about 1917, and frankly, I was not blown away by it. I think it's it's a derivative of uh, Saving Private Ryan and not nearly as good. Well, I think one thing that has working in its favor is, you know, the, the big thing about it is that it looks like it was done in one take. So there's yeah. that sense of technical achievement. And I will say it is the kind of movie that you want to see on a big screen. And I think anything the industry can do to, to sort of push the idea that you need to see movies in theaters they're really trying to champion that right now. So I think that could help it over The Irishman, even though that has nothing to do with the quality of, of The Irishman as a film. I think the I thought The Irishman might might win. Mm-hmm. And uh, I understand The Irishman has done pretty well in theatrical um, screenings. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to go over to the AFI and see it on their big screen, but I, I didn't manage to do that. I watched it a couple of times at home. I think The Irishman is just a great, great uh, achievement. And because I just watched Godfather 1 and 2 all over again, mm-hmm. I think it compares favorably. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was surprised about 1917. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood uh, won Best Comedy and uh, won instead of Rocket Man or Knives Out, which a lot of people thought might win. What do you think? I thought I was... Fully expecting Once Upon a Time in Hollywood to win in that category. And I very much expect it to be nominated. I'm not sure if it will win the Oscar for Best Picture. Uh, again, the Academy does like Hollywood stories. Yeah, and that yeah. that gives it an edge. Like you said, it's hard to say what really is the front runner. It's not particularly clear this year. I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is the closest thing to a front runner for the Oscars. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine 1917 winning... And by saying that, of course, I've just <laughs> teed it up. 
I think Oscar has a bigger problem that has so far been a, a talking point throughout award season, which is, you know, they're not nominating women in the director category right. um, mm-hmm. in a year where there were several movies, most notably Little Women, I, that absolutely. I think are deserving of, of being nominated. And uh, if the Oscars doesn't no- nominate a woman and also as was the case with the BAFTAs, which were nominated, or the nominees were announced earlier this week, which was all of the acting nominees were white. And the Oscars, I know, is very like keen to avoid that um, after the controversies it's it's dealt with in the recent Oscar's years. Oscars so white. Yeah, so we'll see what happens on that uh, front, too. I, I believe Greta Gerwig will win a directing Oscar at some time, and I think <laughs> she should have been in the mix this year. I think that's an extraordinary movie for yeah. the women. So, uh, let's see. Other than that, we have uh, Renee Zellweger winning for Judy. That was a weird appearance. When she, her acceptance speech? Yeah, I thought. I didn't think it was weird. I thought that nobody knew how to respond to it. Count me in. (laughs) (laughs) Joaquin Phoenix for Joker. I hated that movie and I hated his performance. (laughs) Oh, God. I have to say, there was part of me that almost, it made me kind of want him to win the Oscar to see what he'll say uh, on the Academy Awards. Yeah, uh, and I was thinking that he just ruined his chance to win. That, oh, do you think that so? That people will think, uh, you know, we don't want to put him in our show. Mm-hmm. So I wonder. It's two sides of the same coin. It would be interesting to see him out there. Well, that's the, the funny thing about the Golden Globes is that there's zero overlap between the Hollywood Foreign Press and that voting body and the Academy. But it is this sort of like trial run, like a a dress rehearsal for what will it look like if this person wins the Oscar? And so I wonder how much acceptance speeches do influence people when they're deciding who to nominate and who to vote for. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see. Other than that, Aquafina, I think that was really a nice uh, moment Mm -hmm. for her to win uh, Best uh, Actress in a Comedy. Maybe she has a chance at the Oscar. I think she certainly has a chance of being nominated. Right. Absolutely. I think it's going to be hard for anybody to get past Renee Zellweger, but we'll see. The funny thing about that, though, is I don't think of The Farewell as a comedy. Uh, And in fact, what's notable about what Aquafina did is that she stretched beyond Mm -hmm. comedy, which Mm -hmm. is what she's known for, and and did some really great dramatic work. But the Golden Globes is the Golden Globes. (laughs) Well, yeah, they're pretty wacky. The rest of them, uh, Taron Edgerton for Rocket Man. We watched Rocket Man over again, and it's surprisingly good. Yeah, I, th- I really liked it. The story of uh, Elton John, it's surprisingly good. Brad Pitt for What's Upon Time in Hollywood, over Al Pacino and Joe Pesci and Tom Hanks. If there's one thing that feels like a lock to me, it's that Brad Pitt is going to win it. Yeah. Man, he looked good up there, too. Yeah, he does. He's a good-looking <laughs> guy. <laughs> Plus, uh, Laura Dern for uh, Marriage Story. Mm-hmm. You're not hearing a lot about Marriage Story. Well, you are, but you're not necessarily hearing that it's going to win. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel like the kind of movie that, as good as it is and as much as I like it, that Oscar, at least in the, in recent years, tends to vote for. It's a, it's a you know, more relationship-driven film. So, uh, now your area is television, particularly. And mm-hmm. I must say, incidentally... Thanks to you, we are watching Unbelievable, the uh, Netflix series, a uh, police procedural about a young woman who is raped and is coerced into saying she made it up. Mm-hmm. And uh, what happens after that? And it's just compelling. It's just, it's a just a wonderful piece of television. And yeah. Thank you for that. So, uh, and let me say again, Unbelievable. If you haven't watched it, watch it. But what'd you think of the uh, Golden Globe TV awards? I mean, I think the top awards mm-hmm. 
went exactly where I expected them to exactly. go. Succession yeah. and, and Fleabag. They would have looked mm-hmm. like complete idiots if they hadn't given Fleabag the Golden Globe for Best Comedy. They gave one to Olivia Coleman for The Crown. I like that. And yeah. Chernobyl. Chernobyl. I mean, that's a tough category because that, that meant that Unbelievable didn't win. Um, but Chernobyl was really also an excellent limited series. Um, I think one of the big surprises was Rami Yusuf winning for Rami for his role in that, which is a great mm-hmm. series on mm-hmm. Hulu. And that's the kind of thing where a win can maybe bring a show to people's attention that they haven't been aware of, which is very easy to not be aware of things when there's so much television. And um, by the way, I'm not aware of it. <laughs> Tell me again what it's about. Um, I mean, it's it's somewhat autobiographical. Uh, oh. It's about a, a Muslim Egyptian-American guy and just kind of dealing with the cultural differences that he has to deal with every day with his family and just with trying to be have one foot in America and one foot in his own culture it's half hour. I forget how many episodes mm. it was, but it's good. We got the Oscar nominations next week mm-hmm. and uh, the Critics' Choice Awards this weekend and several other things. We're going to come back here every week to sort of sift through what's going on. Have you got any Oscar prediction? To, what's going to win Best Picture right now based on oh, your yeah. What did, uh, uh, you know what I, I actually am one of the people on Gold Derby that is, uh-huh, is picking uh-huh. things, and I'm Love trying to remember that. what I put. I think I still have the Irishman in the lead spot right now. I'm not 100% convinced, as I said. I, I'm not sure. If I were going to say anything, I would. my instinct tells me right now, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood has mm-hmm. a good chance to win Best Film this year. Mm-hmm. In spite of Quentin Tarantino and his terrible... <laughs> acceptance speech yeah i was gonna say if, if acceptance speeches are a dress rehearsal i'm not sure if that helped him and also offended every actor he's ever worked with more than most usually yeah. this was a great cast samuel l jackson's at home going what <laughs> so let's take a break now lou what do we got coming up well you know what arch we are going to cover new movies this week oh and, good and there are new movies this week i think yes. so a couple this is the drought after the holidays and also so we're going to hear from our guest critic, too. Oh, good. Plus this good. week's movie trivia yes. question. Oh, is there a trivia question this week? Which we'll come up with the answer at the end of the podcast. But here's what we have for this mm, week. A trivia question. Mm-hmm. What holiday film classic is beginning to show its age? Oh, this is based on my vacation where okay. I sat around watching movies all the time, watching old movies, and I noticed one that is highly lauded, and it's beginning to not age as well as we might think. Okay. Well, this is more of an opinion than a trivia question. <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> My opinions have been called trivial. So. No, no. I think it fits right in. Well, so definitely stay with us for the podcast, and you'll find out the answer to that comment or uh-huh. trivia question, whatever you want to call it. But first, <laughs> this is the cat's is podcasting it? system <laughs> michael matthews and thomas matthews also known as the matthews brothers have just completed their debut film lost holiday it made the festival circuit and now it's on demand and in some theaters around the country and i went to a screening at the Avalon Theater this week, which is a great venue to see the story of two former Washingtonians 
home for the holidays who stumble onto the kidnapping of a D.C. socialite. Let's say hello to the Matthews brothers, who are also our guest critics this week, Michael and Thomas. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Arch. Thanks for having us. We're so glad to be here. So you just had your hometown premiere last night, and uh, what's your response? Well, uh, we played basically in a theater that we grew up going to, the (laughs) Avalon, which is (laughs) actually an old movie palace, a non-profit. And uh, we packed the house, fortunately, uh, which was a great feeling. Saw a lot of old friends and also some friends of our parents. Our parents were um, journalists in the area. Our mom worked at WGLA. So it was sort of a professional reunion in a lot of ways, and also a very exciting experience to sort of see on the big screen uh, the neighborhood we grew up on. So uh, how long did you work on uh, Lost Holiday? Well, Michael and I first started talking about this uh, project uh, quite a few years ago. We always knew that we wanted it to be some version of a a late coming-of-age story um, uh, centered on uh, our main character, Caitlin Scheel. And, uh, but we also wanted to play with genre uh, because we wanted uh, to get a little bit uh, lost inside the movie. We wanted to create the feeling of not really knowing what's going to happen next. Yeah, it kind of struck me as Nick and Nora Charles on acid. Yeah. That, we love that. Thank that's you. Perfect. We're going to use that. that. <laughs> <laughs> that's my quote. <laughs> uh, that's perfect. Thank you. That's, that's exactly what we were going for. We love you, Arch. Thank you. <laughs> 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 and uh, and I love the hometown shots. In fact, you got a nice uh, reaction when you made a reference to uh, the Mormon temple as Disneyland. <laughs> Looks like Disneyland. Yeah, we you know we we grew up uh, in a neighborhood called Chevy Chase, D.C., and then later on moved to a neighborhood a few blocks away called Chevy Chase, Maryland, which is sort of a smaller little um, piece next to Bethesda, Potomac, Rockville, and the film really takes place in that little uh, hub. Um, which normally doesn't make it on screen. I think the usually in films when they mention Bethesda in a Hollywood film, you look out the window and there's the White House, yeah, which is a yeah. geographic impossibility. So it was sort of nice to kind of actually create a, a realistic depiction of the geography and the uh, unique neighborhood dynamic there. And it's also our home. I mean, it's where we grew up. So when we see movies like uh, these political thrillers, it's uh, it, DC is, uh, is is seen in a much different way, but for us, it's just uh, home for the holidays, and so we hope that that's kind of universal too. So uh, Thomas, you are uh, the lead actor, and Michael, you are the director. Uh, we both directed it actually, and uh, we we wrote it together as well. So both of you have this great uh, credit to your name, and uh, where will this lead? What's next? Well, um, I'm in post now for another uh, project, another silly uh, thriller. Uh, it's playing with uh, paranormal stuff. Uh, starring J. Duplass, and uh, Michael just wrote an awesome script, uh, a, a, um, a, a screwball comedy, and uh, Michael and also, also developing a, another a, uh, a monster movie as well. Oh, our, cool. Our, our parents are a big influence on us, so this movie, Lost Holiday, um, that just came out, is really a tribute to all the time that we spent hanging out at WJLA, which is the local ABC <laughs> News affiliate. Yes. And we would hear, you know, these stories either directly in the newsroom or sometimes in the field with our mom. And they usually had a very kind of mundane uh, depiction on the news. It would be our mom speaking behind a desk, some B-roll, you know, some quick interviews. But the stories on the whole were usually incredibly absurd and, you know, tragic and crazy. So we would sort of, when we started thinking about doing a screenplay, we said, wouldn't it be interesting if these sort of rudderless 
kids that we kind of grew up with stumbled into one of these you know, nightmare stories our mom used to cover on the news. Um, mm-hmm. Oftentimes, you know, just a few blocks from where we grew up. And so you're on demand through Amazon? Amazon Prime, yeah, to, for, available for to rent and buy. And I also, I understand that uh, festival screenings are a whole thing now, and that if when you uh, show a film at a festival, that's a great way to get your names out. Oh yeah, I mean it's been a long year. We just uh, we we opened at uh, Slam Dance and uh, Rotterdam at the same time, <laughs> and uh, and we've spent the whole year just traveling around the world and uh, and 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 seeing how the the movie uh, clicks with different audiences. But it's also a way to uh, for tiny movies like this to get their name out. So uh, the name of your film is Lost Holiday, and it is kind of a wacky Nick and yeah. Nora like. Caper movie. Yeah. Caper. Did you shoot all of it locally then? We did. Um, uh, we uh, uh, at one point when it was just Michael and me, when we were shooting during the holidays, we wanted to get some Christmas B-roll uh, because we uh, we shot the movie a couple months after Christmas, so that so that people wouldn't freeze. It was just Michael and me uh, driving around the car with a rented super sixteen millimeter camera, <laughs> getting uh, getting shots of zoo lights and uh, and the the Capitol building with uh, Christmas decorations out front and the White House as well. And uh, w- but we shot the entire movie inside the uh, inside the Beltway. Some things in Arlington, Virginia. Some in uh, Chevy Chase, Silver Spring, Bethesda. But also some things inside D.C. proper. Yeah, and I noticed that you shot it on film. Super sixteen. Yeah. Kodak has a big. Um uh, thing at the beginning of the film, and and uh, that's a nice uh, decision. What, what went into that? Well, uh, we knew that we wanted to have a, a kind of a throwback quality. Uh, there's, there's a kind of a grain that you you can recreate in uh, in digital. It just uh, it, it it feels a little forced. And we uh, so when we reached out to Kodak, they they were incredibly generous with wow. us. They, um, they offered us a lot of stock, and um, uh, they they pretty much became producers uh, as well. I mean, that's why we have them in the opening credits. But uh, they've been known to be very, very, very um, uh, generous with uh, new filmmakers. And uh, as a result, a lot of filmmakers have, sta- have stuck with them over the years. Like Noah Baumbach, he still shoots a lot of his stuff on Super 16 millimeter, and yeah, he develops in a color lab right by us. That's really interesting, and that's a, kind of a smart thing for them to do. Yeah, get them while they're young. We, uh, so we actually use the same lab as Baumbach. Every week we ask people to come in as our guest critic and uh, get some uh, reviews on films from another perspective. And you guys have uh, uh, elected to discuss Marriage Story and Uncut Gems. And, and give us your reviews. Well, one thing that I really love about um, Noah Baumbach's movies is that they're, uh, 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 he, he has a way of explaining it um, where they're very, very personal, but they're not, uh, they're not necessarily autobiographical. I was so moved by Marriage Story, and I also loved the characters and the performances were wonderful, too. And the soundtrack from Randy Newman. I thought it was so, there was so much joy in it, even though it was such a grim subject. And I saw it twice in theaters. I loved it. I love reading the interviews with Baumbach, because he's gone through a very high-profile divorce with his ex-wife, Jennifer Jason Leigh, with whom they have children. So knowing a few friends who've been through divorce, um, it was interesting to see the film and, and my wife as an attorney as well. And, you know, the scenes with the lawyers are so painful to watch, but seems so amazingly accurate. And did they ring true to your lawyer wife? Absolutely. Mainly, you know, through her personal experience of friends who've gone through divorces. You know, you're sort of damned if you do, damned if you don't. Damned <laughs> if you fight, damned if you don't fight. So you're fans of Marriage Story. And how about a quick word on Uncut Gems? Had such tremendous forward momentum. I was so impressed with that from the very beginning. It's it's stressful in a way, but also the 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 energy from it. I was just so blown away by. Is this the one that'll make Adam Sandler uh, 
a genuine uh, Oscar-nominated actor? If, there's, if, if any movie's going to do it, it's got to be this one. I mean, I thought he was so good in um, Punch Drunk Love as well. I'm not positive of this. I, think, I feel like the Safdie brothers had, had, this, had him in mind for this role for something like 10 years. Mm. That's what they said. You know, he gets angry in films, and you, and you sort of kind of forget that. Sadler, yeah. Like uh, Happy Gilmore, there's an amazing scene where he <laughs> takes a beer bottle and just smashes it in a country club and threatens <laughs> someone, and <laughs> the escalation yeah. is so quick. And what these guys figured out was there's something very dark and almost menacing about Adam Sandler if you just focus on that one little moment of his you know, craziness. And it's a very stressful film. I woke up yesterday morning at 4 a.m. having a funny dream. I immediately started thinking about that movie. So from 4 to 7, I just lay in my bed thinking about how disturbing but unbelievably compelling this movie was. And I've heard people are triggered by it. We played at the Avalon for Lost yeah. Holiday. We were talking to the manager. He said, you wouldn't believe how many emails I'm getting from people that are angry that we showed this film. It seems uh, like, uh, it's like uh, an onion cut put in someone's face. There's a visceral reaction <laughs> to this, and that's pretty rare these days. Now you are the, the fabulous Matthews Brothers, and uh, you have this wonderful credit to your uh, uh, resume of uh, Lost Holiday, and uh, I hope you'll let us know uh, what happens next. We absolutely will. Thank you for having us on. Okay, good wishes to you both. And don't forget me when you get to be a big shot. (laughs) Great to be here. Thank you. What is the all-new Hound Radio? It's the best brains of music. Like classic rock. Old school R&B. Very superstitious. Today's hits. And a whole lot more. The all-new Hound. Radio. You're listening to At the Movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Cheney, and Lou Katz. Well, welcome back. We hope you haven't gone through all your popcorn yet. <laughs> now, the moment we know you absolutely positively haven't been waiting for yet. Right. It's this week's movie trivia question. Go ahead, Arch. Oh, now, you know, Jen Cheney has already complained about this. She says, she says, this is not a question, it's an opinion. It's not a complaint, more as a observation. <laughs> but you haven't even heard the question yet. Oh, boy. Here we go. What holiday film classic is beginning to show its age? Well, and this, uh, you know, you and I, the last time we were together, discussed Christmas movies. Mm-hmm. And I watched A Christmas Story. And I noticed this time that the scene toward the end in the Chinese restaurant has really not aged You're just figuring that out? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So that's the answer to the trivia question, that I just figured that out. (laughs) Might I add, if you have any movie trivia questions you'd like to ask Arch... Please, please do. Just email them at arch at houndradio.com. That's arch at houndradio.com. I'm going to be hounded for a while. So uh, any final words from you, Jen Cheney, Vulture? We can follow you on Vulture. Yes, uh, you can follow me. You can read my stuff on Vulture, and you can follow me on Twitter at Cheney J. And you're on WTOP on the weekends. So do you have some recommendations for the weekend? I do. Mm -hmm. I have three, in fact. Yes. Uh, One is a new docuseries that just debuted on Netflix called Cheer. Uh, yeah. It's about a, a cheer- oh about the cheerleaders about yes. a cheerleading squad at a community college in Texas that 
you know, has won multiple championships uh, to the point where kids from all over the country are trying to go to that school. Mm-hmm. It's really, it's like Friday Night Lights, except it's about cheerleading. Yeah. And if you if you think cheerleading isn't serious, you will be blown <laughs> away. It, I, I really do think yeah. it's the most dangerous sport because if uh-huh. someone's not there to uh-huh. catch you, your neck yeah. is broken. There's no, you're not wearing helmets. Oh my God. The one, one girl in the beginning is like, yeah, this is my fifth concussion. Oh. I mean, it's really... <laughs> But it's also about these kids' lives and, and what brought them to where they are. It's great. Uh, so that's one recommendation. Another recommendation with some caveats is a new HBO show called The Outsider that debuts on Sunday. Uh, it's based or adapted from a Stephen King novel. So it starts out sort of seeming like a typical crime show where um, Ben Mendelsohn plays a detective. He arrests Jason Bateman's character for killing um, a child based on what seems like pretty damning evidence, the problem is then it becomes clear that Jason Bateman not only has an alibi, he had, there's proof that he was somewhere else at the time that this crime occurred. Mm. And it gets mm. weird and supernatural as it goes on in ways oh. that don't entirely work, but it, it's... Uh, A little Watchman vibe, maybe? Mm, not quite Watchmen, but... Um, as I said, Stephen King is the source mm. material, so you can kind of imagine. Yeah, it's I saw the trailer weird. for that. It looks interesting. Yeah. And then the last thing, of course, the Critics' Choice Awards are on Sunday night. Oh, and there you go. And, of course, we want everybody to watch that. And you're voting, and I'm voting. We are. And I think I've revealed I'm going to vote for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So if you don't <laughs> like what won, <laughs> you can blame me and Arch. <laughs> I want to recommend Little Women. To, uh, if you're going to the movies, uh, that I think it's, uh, I think it's one of the best of the year and a wonderful reimagining of a classic, and uh, it's got great energy and Little Women. I'm a big fan of that. And online, I want to recommend Once Upon a Time in Hollywood if you haven't seen it, and you can download it on Amazon and uh, all the rest of them. And on television, uh, you've already heard me say, uh, unbelievable. I'm I'm totally engrossed in it. It's a wonderful limited series. Great. I'm glad you guys are liking it. Yeah, so thank you for that. All right, Arch, what is your quote of the week? I like the awards. It's the show that stinks. (laughs) 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 All right. Just a reminder that our podcast next week will discuss the Oscar nominations. Hey, uh, we're going to end today with some music from Rocket Man because Taron Edgerton won a Golden Globe. And he did the singing in Rocket Man. And that's another recommendation. That's just a really terrific uh, musical biography of uh, Elton John. And remember, if you like this kind of music, there's plenty of it waiting for you at houndradio.com. We'll catch you next week. She packed my bags last night pre-flight. Zero hour, 9 a.m. And I'm gonna be high As a kite by then I miss the earth so much I miss my life It's lonely out in space On such a time I'm not the man they think I am at home Oh no, no, no
ain't the kind of place to raise your kids. In fact, it's cold as hell. And there's no one there to raise them if you did. And all this science, I don't understand. It's just my job five days a week. Or I get Podcasting system.